We are bringing together imperfect people in pursuit of a whole life. Welcome to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. This week, Pastor Doug shares his message about Abraham in week one of our new series, Broken Heroes. So, there are lots and lots of stories in the Bible. And these ancient histories are meant for us to learn from even now, today. We're supposed to look at them and see God's character, how good and consistent it is across the ages. And we're also meant to look at the humans in the stories and see for what we learn from their example about the life of faith, what to do and what not to do. Now, all too often, we minimize or we skip over the what not to do parts. And the result is that we end up with a distorted view of the human beings in the Bible. We, we think they must have been supernaturally virtuous, that, that we could never compare to them. Our life couldn't match up with their life. Because after all, they must have been something pretty special about them to get to be included in the Bible. But the fact is, in many ways, the people in the Bible were just like you and me. In fact, in some ways, they are scandalously worse than you and me. So for the next few weeks, what, what we'd like to do is take an honest look at the heroes in the Bible. Let's understand their humanity and their choices. Let's look at both their virtues and their sins. And let's be encouraged by how we compare to them and by how good God is to his children, both then and now. And let's start with this guy named Abraham. Now, uh, Abraham is super important, uh, and not just because if you grew up going to church camp or Sunday school, you know that there's a song about Abraham with all sorts of motions. That's, that's not why uh, he's important. Uh, Abraham's important for, for a few reasons. Just in, in summary, let, let me give you a few of them. First of all, Abraham is, is privileged among human beings in that God himself elected to, to identify himself with the name of Abraham. As, as people were saying, how do you know which God you follow? Who is this God of the Israelites? God himself said, the way people are gonna know me is by the name of Abraham. In fact, when God is introducing himself to Moses in Exodus, and Moses is kind of saying, whoa, you know, which God are you? And when I go and talk to Israelites and the Egyptians, how are they gonna know which God it is? And God said to them, all right, so you say to the Israelites, this is the Lord, the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Not only that, this will be my name forever. The name that you shall call me from generation to generation. So God says, when I show up at a party, the, my calling card says, I am God, the God of Abraham. That's how you know which God I am. And he says, it's gonna be like that forever, for generations to come. And you, you zoom forward a couple thousand years, you see that God was exactly right, that that came true. Uh, so a few thousand years later, Jesus is on the scene uh, and he's getting in arguments uh, with the Jewish uh, religious people of the time. And so to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, you know, if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But they were a little frustrated by that. And they said, you know, they answered him, whoa, 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 we are Abraham's descendants. 
And they continue on, Abraham is our father. And then Jesus says, well, if you really were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. So notice that even thousands of years later, Abraham is still kind of the labeling badge of how do we know that you're the right religion? Well, we're the, we're the children of Abraham. And when Jesus himself had some criticisms, they were saying, whoa, 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 who are you to criticize us? We're descendants of Abraham. You know Abraham, the guy that God identified himself with? That's our guy. And that wasn't just true even in Bible times. You guys ready for that? Let me take this up a notch for you today. Do you realize that right now in 2021, the majority of the world believes in a faith that is descended from Abraham? Do you realize that? Out of 7.8 billion people, over 4 billion identify as Christian, Muslim, or Jewish, which means that a majority of the world says believes, it's part of their creed, that the one true God came down 4,000 years ago and spoke directly to Abraham. We can't get consensus on anything these days, but that's something that even the world has consensus on, that something special happened with Abraham and that it matters to the majority of people of faith here and now today. So Abraham, much like Ron Burgundy, is kind of a big deal. So let's, let's look at why he's such a big deal and, and what we really need to make sure that we learn from his story, both the good parts and the bad parts, all right? So here's why he's a big deal. We're, we're gonna go to uh, the letter to the Romans. This is one of the early Christian uh, believers and writers. And he's talking to these new Christians and, and there's, this, there's this big problem already, which as you saw when Jesus was talking with people, the badge of pride, the way that you knew that you were in right with God was that you were literally genetically descended from Abraham in a way that anyone that's of Arabic or Semitic um, ethnicity even today, they can claim literal genetic descent from Abraham. But now Paul is writing to these Greeks and these Romans and they're not Semitic, they're not Arabic, they have no claim to Abraham. And that's a problem because that's how important Abraham was. God would be known as the God of Abraham for generations to come forever, and these people aren't descended from him. And so Paul is addressing this problem. He says, look guys, here, here's how you understand this. He says, the promise of God comes by faith so that it may be by grace and it may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. This is consistent, right? This is what we've already seen. All of Abraham's offspring are guaranteed, but not only to those who are of the law, not only those who are genetically descended, but also to those who just simply have the faith of Abraham. Abraham is the father of us all. And as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, and so he is now our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. And yes, this is why there's a camp song called Father Abraham. I'm one of his sons, and so are you. We're all his sons, based on the faith in God, the God who gives life to the dead and who calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, we'll talk about that in a minute, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. So Paul is saying, first of all, anyone who has faith is a descendant of Abraham now. He's for all of us. He's our father. But, but why? Because Abraham believed God's promises 
And that belief, that hope was credited to him as righteousness. So what exact promise is Paul talking about? What promise did Abraham believe that that made him such an important part of the legacy of faith? So let's let's go back to the story. The story of Abraham is in Genesis, and we're going to look at a bunch of different chapters in Genesis now today. So we're going to go here to Genesis 15. So after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Abram was the name he was born with, and then God changed his name partway through his life because Abram means exalted father, But as part of God's promise that Paul already said that his offspring would be like the stars, God changes his name a little bit later to Abraham, which means father of many or even father of many nations. So he gets a name change to as kind of evidence of God's promise to him. So the Lord came to Abram, Abraham in a vision and he said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. But then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And God took Abram outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring That's the part Paul was quoting, that your offspring will be like the stars in the sky, like the grains of sand on the seashore. And here it is, and Abram believed the Lord's promise about his son and his offspring, and God credited it to Abram as righteousness. So this this is the story. This is the moment that, that has resonated for the ages, that, that God, promised something, Ab- God promised Abram something that was impossible. Abram trusted and believed in him. And now we who believe in the promises of God are spiritual heirs of the legacy of Abraham. So that's, that's the story. But here's where I'd like to pivot. I'd, I'd like you to start thinking about Abram not as some supernatural biblical hero, but as a, a real human being, much like you and me. See, this promise uh, from God, this was Genesis 15, this promise came to Abram when he was 80 years old and Sarah was 70. And it's in this moment that God says to him, it's all right, you're going to have a son. I promise you won't have to, to pass off your estate to an heir, to an adopted heir. You're gonna have your own son. It happened when he was 80 and Sarah was 70. Now put yourself in those shoes. Think about what it would have been like to be in that marriage. They've been married for decades at that time. Decades where they've been trying to have a kid. Decades of infertility. At a time where kids weren't just a luxury, they didn't have life insurance and they weren't building assisted living facilities on every corner in West County like they are here and now today. Your estate planning was you had a son that could take care of you in your old age and they'd been trying for decades and it had not been coming true. Think of what that struggle must have been like. Think of how hard it must have been on Sarah, what it did to her sense of self-worth. Think about how how frustrating it was to Abram feeling like that that God had given him this promise but but it, it seemed too little too late. What would that feel like? To have God promise you something great, but, but way past the time where it would really seem to do you much good. This would be like God coming to me now, I'm 41, and God saying, hey Doug, remember that lifelong dream that you wanna be an NFL football player? It's going to come true. 
And I'd say, that's great, God. The the window is kind of closing. 41, technically Tom Brady says I can have three more years apparently, but I'm at the end. That would have been great 20 years ago. What, What are you even doing now? Why would you even open up this old wound? Why, why, why would you promise me something that far beyond when I would have actually needed it in my life? And now the Bible says that Abraham trusted God with an unwavering hope, and, and that is true. Abraham trusted that God's promise would come true because God said so. But here's the thing we have to look at today, that Abraham did not always trust how. God's promises would come true. That throughout his life, Abraham, never wavering in the hope, would say, all right, God must have wanted me to do something differently. I must need to make some changes or commit some actions to to make sure that God's promises come true. And so ask yourself this, if you are way at the end of your childbearing years and yet you are holding out hope that God was still somehow intending for you to have a child, what would you do? We live in a time where we have medical advancements, there's fertility clinics, there's all sorts of things that, that you and I would do, right? We, we would take matters into our own hands. We'd say, well, if God wants this to happen, here's what I must need necessarily to do to make it happen. What would you do if you were decades into a barren marriage, you were facing your retirement years, you had no realistic hope of, of what you were, of what God had promised, and yet you know it has to come true somehow, what would you do? Well, let's turn to what Abraham and Sarah did in this exact moment. So immediately following the passage we just read, now Sarai, and her name was originally Sarai, it got changed to Sarah later on, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she did have a young Egyptian slave named Hagar, and so she said to Abram, well, The Lord has kept me from having children. So how about this? You go sleep with my slave and perhaps I can build a family through her. And so Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now you can already just see up front, this is not God's intention or ideal for marriage. This was not something God commanded them to do or thought was a good idea. In fact, there are going to be consequences of this choice of Abraham and Sarah that last for thousands of years. In fact, we're still dealing as a humanity, we're still dealing with the consequences of the choices here today. Dion's gonna be talking about that more next week. But for now, let me just say, we can see how excruciating this must have been, how hard it must have been for Sarah, for her to even suggest this thing that, that anyone who has, who has half a brain knows that this is going to cause strife, division, hostility. But for the sake of trying to hold God through to his promises, this was a choice they made. But this is not the first time that Abram and Sarai made a less than great choice for the sake of trying to hold true to God's promises. See, about a decade before this moment happened, Abram and Sarai dealt with a different issue. See, there was a famine in the land. 
And so Abram went down to Egypt, same Egypt that we know today, same place, to live there for a while because the famine was so severe. Now let me back it up, leave it there for a minute. And so no, what Abraham was, the way they lived was they were nomads. They had caravans. They had tents and sheep and cattle, and they just roved following the weather patterns. Anywhere it rained and there was, there was enough grass for the, for the cattle and the sheep to eat, that's where they went, and they just roamed throughout the land of Canaan. But when there's a famine, then there's no grass anywhere. But Egypt, just like it is today, is in the fertile Nile Valley, and so they were the one place that could kind of sur, um, survive a, a famine and a drought longer than anywhere else. So on the one hand, this is very, very shrewd of Abram. Egypt's going to be the one place that you can have enough water uh, to live and, and help your, your caravan survive. But also, just like what we're, we're beginning to see and we'll see over the next few weeks, this is the beginning of the first great nation in, in human history. This is Egypt, the Egypt with the pyramids uh, and the pharaohs. And this is a time where, where there's, no, there's no laws, there's no police, there's no court of justice and lawyers to defend against you. See, this is Egypt where Pharaoh is king and the way everything works is by the golden rule. You know the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. That's where Abram was going with Sarah, and he didn't go in blindly. He knew exactly what risks they were facing by going in there. And now let's go to the next verse. And so, as Abram was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So, say that you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. And sure enough, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. And he treated Abram well for her sake and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. So this is the moment, guys, let's not sugarcoat the Bible. Let's not just say, oh, because it's this ancient document, we, we, we look at it with, uh, with filtered eyes. Unfiltered, Abram gave his wife for the sexual use of Pharaoh for material goods. And you know as well as I do what the word for that is. This was the choice that they felt they had to make to protect themselves, to acquire wealth and security. This is what they did. And this shouldn't be too scandalous to us because this kind of stuff still goes on here and now today. If anything, it's shocking because we're not used to seeing it in the Bible. But, but I hope what it does is not that, that it puts more of a condemning judgmental edge, but just that it lets us go, these people had to make hard, tragic choices. They faced difficulty and despair. They faced moments of uncertainty where they didn't know what the right thing to do was, and they did painfully wrong things just like us, just like you and I often do today. But in this moment where they had to make an unconscionable choice for the sake of protecting themselves, notice that God doesn't leave them there. God rides to the rescue. See, here's what ends up happening. So the Lord, as a result, inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. And so Pharaoh figured it out because he understood the supernatural and he summoned Abraham. He said, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? 
Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So even in the midst of their their bad choices, God was true to his promises that he would bless and protect Abram everywhere he went. It's just so sad that Abram and Sarah had to make such bad choices first. Now, we often, when we see stories like these, we see them in the Bible, when we see them even now today, we understand that people make rough decisions early on, but, but part of a redemptive story is that, is that we know that, that people figure it out and they repent and they turn from their wicked ways and they finish out their days in maturity and wisdom and virtue and honor. And so I want to let you know the bad news. This is not one of those stories that now we're going to zoom ahead another decade. We're going to go to the end of Abraham and Sarah's story. And we're going to see whether or not Abraham and Sarah learned from what went down in Egypt, from all the troubles they had by having a child with her Egyptian slave, Hagar. We go to Genesis 20. So this is way farther on. Abraham's moving all around the Canaanite country. He went from there to the region of the Negev, and he lived between Kadesh and Shur. And for a while, he stayed in Gerar. And there, Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she's my sister. And so then Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her to be his wife. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night, and he said to him, you're as good as dead. Because of the woman that you have taken, she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her yet. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Didn't he say to me, she's my sister? Didn't she confirm it? She said, he's my brother. I've done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. And then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. So now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. So once again, Abraham and Sarah, they don't don't learn, they don't repent, they, they, they they don't put foolish decisions in the past. Here we are at the end of their life, they're making the same mistakes, committing the same sins, causing strife and consternation amongst the people they go instead of causing blessing. And once again, God rides to the rescue. Now, I don't want you to be distracted by the adultery and the lying and the prostitution. I want you to have spiritual wisdom to discern what's going on here, that all of these stories that we're seeing, they're all symptoms of a deeper sin. You see, we didn't call this week Abraham's uh, adultery We called this week Abraham's mistrust. Because underlying all of those stories that we just read was even though Abraham knew that somehow God's promises were going to to come true, he mistrusted how they were going to come true. And over and over again, he and Sarah felt the need to try to take matters into their own hands to force God's will on their circumstances, their situation. And there's a word for that too. Mistrust always results in something called striving. 
There's a reason we did Abraham first, partly because he's chronologically the first one uh, in order, but partly because I think the sin that he struggles with, the one that I want us to wrestle with today, is the original sin. It's this fear that God is holding out on you. That even though God talks a good game, at the end of the day, you can't trust him fully to deliver on his promises. We see it all the way in the very first chapter of the Bible, Adam and Eve in the garden. They thought that maybe God was withholding something wonderful from them. And so they took it in their own hands to eat from the the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because they weren't sure God was gonna give them everything he needed. We see it as Israel becomes a nation. Abraham's descendants eventually become a a nation right there in the Middle East. But as as they look at the rise of empires around them, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and they think, we're not sure God's really gonna be able to protect us against such powerful uh, empires around us. And, and so they strive and they say, we need a human king and we need to have standing armies. We need to be able to defend ourselves. We have to protect ourselves because we're not sure God can do it for us. Over and over again, since the dawn of time, human beings have react, coped with their mistrust of God by striving. Now, I want to call out kind of the difference here. What's the difference between striving and just good, hard, diligent work? Because, of course, we're not called to just sit back and be lazy and let God's blessings come rolling in even when we don't do anything, right? There is such a thing as perseverance and and diligence and good work. And so here's what's been helpful for me when you're trying to figure out the difference between striving and, and just good diligence and human effort. Striving is when you ever find yourself saying, well, you know, the end justifies the means. That's the definition of striving. When Abraham and Sarah say, hey, we know that God wants a marriage to be pure and for life, and, and that you're really not supposed to bring other people into the marriage bed, but you know what? We, we, we have to have a kid somehow, so it justifies the means. When Abraham, who's called by God to protect his wife and his family, instead of protecting her, throws her to the wolves in order to save his own life and to be enriched, well, if I'm dead, how can God's promise come true? Anytime you find yourself saying the end justifies the means, you are, you are dangerously in human striving territory. And this is important for us to be aware of because I, I have this belief that no one achieves spiritual maturity until you've faced the moment where striving becomes a temptation for you. You see, when, when, we're chi- when we're children, when we have childlike faith, there's this wonderful overlap between morality and blessing. They, they go together, right? When, when, you, when you do good things, you, you know, you, you're rewarded. You get stickers every time you do a good thing. When, when, you, when you share, you know, your, your parents reward you. On the other hand, when you, when you grab a toy from your sibling, you get bitten, or at least you did in my family. And it went together, right? That when you did good things, you got rewards. When you did bad things, there were immediate consequences. Morality and blessing went hand in hand. But there comes a point in every person's adolescence of faith, there comes a point where we have to have mature wisdom, where for the first time in your life, the morality of the situation and the blessing of the situation become misaligned. And in that moment, you have to decide whether you trust what God teaches and what he calls you to do, or whether you trust the blessing that you can earn for yourself. I'll share with you one, one moment that sticks out with me. This is the first moment I really remember where I had to face 
the, the conundrum of human striving. The first moment where the morality of the situation did not match the blessing of the situation. And it was when I was 19 years old, had one of my first jobs, I was a server at the Outback Steakhouse. And as a server, you make $2.13 an hour. And you have for about 80 years in this country. And so, you get tips. And at the end of the night, you have to declare your tips. But here's the dirty secret. Uh, the only tips that the restaurant or Uncle Sam have any proof that you've gotten are the tips that you got on the credit card. Anything that was in cash, no one has any proof that you got except for yourself. And so I discovered my very first shift, all of my coworkers, all of my friends, they said, oh, by the way, you know, Doug, you didn't know this, but don't declare any of your tips except the ones on the credit cards. That's, that's, that's free money, that's extra money for you. If you declare more stuff, they're gonna, you know, government's going to take even more out of your paycheck. And, and for the first time in my life, I had this moment where God says you are to be honest and ethical in your actions, but I would literally like make less money than all of my coworkers if I was honest and scrupulous in declaring my tips. For the first moment in my life, they were misaligned. And, and every one of us is going to have those moments, not just once or twice in our, in our adolescence, but throughout our life, moments where the blessing and the morality don't seem to match. It's what we see in Abraham and Sarah's marriage, that they are not in any way a picture-perfect ideal of, of the godly, holy marriage. They were faced with these choices. And I don't know about you, but marriage has been that way for me too. I have a wonderful marriage with a wonderful woman. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And, and throughout the years, it's, I've been, had moments where I had to kind of say to God, are you sure this is your ideal? You sure this is how you want us to do it? Because there, there are simpler and easier ways that feel like they would have more blessing in our life. And every single one of us, we've got coping mechanisms. Every addiction that you've ever experienced or, or had someone in your life have, ultimately it started in this moment of mistrust and human striving. Whether you're addicted to drugs or food or alcohol or, or doom scrolling on social media, all of those are ways to, fi to find pleasure or soothing or comfort somewhere outside of what God himself desires for you. And so as we wrestle with the story of Abraham and Sarah, I, I want you to see in their lives that they were broken in much the same ways we are broken that they struggled with human striving much like we struggle with human striving. But also in the story that there is a way out. And the way out is not just to clean up your act. That's what every self-help book and, and every, every guru is gonna tell you is, hey, all these bad coping mechanisms you're doing, all these addictive behaviors, all of the ways that you're striving in the end justify the means, just stop doing them. That's not how it works. It's just a different kind of striving. You see, the only way to be done with striving, you can't, you can't do it yourself, you can't, you can't just magically suddenly have better behaviors. See, the opposite of striving is not doing something better. The opposite of striving is trusting. It's trusting that God has something good for you in spite of what that moment looks like, in spite of your circumstances, in spite of the difficulties that you're facing, that God will come true, come through. And this is why we need to know the full story of Abraham and Sarah. Because if you didn't notice it, I'm going to call it out now. All of the scheming and the lying and the striving that they did, how much good did it accomplish in their lives? None. 
It didn't accomplish anything for them. We, thousands of years later, can learn from their story. All the good that happened in their life happened because of whose actions? God's. That all of of their trying to manipulate the circumstances, it didn't come through. God just ultimately comes in with a plague. God comes in with a dream to the king. God comes in, we'll find out more next week. God gives them a son. Abraham and Sarah together in their old age miraculously have a baby. And God did all of it. All of it for them throughout their lives. And we can look at that story and say, if God can come through for them in all of these scary moments where they're going in um, to places where they think they're going to get killed, where, where they're beyond medical science, the ability to have a baby, and if God can come through for them, then maybe he can come through for us. You see, here's the thing. Abraham's striving much like ours. It will not accomplish God's purposes for us, but, but the, the flip side is true too. It doesn't disqualify us from God's purposes either. You see, at the end of the day, Even though when we look at the full story, Abraham and Sarah are not quite the role models we would want them to be, yet at the end of the day, they're still our role models. Not necessarily because of what they did, but because of how faithful and true God was throughout their life. And that the one thing they got right was that they did believe one way or another that God's promise would come true. They thought they had to strive for it, but they always, always believed. And so I want to ask one more question as, as we wrap this up. We're going, to, we're going to look back again at Genesis 12. This is the very first moment that God ever spoke to Abram. And I want you to notice what God does, why, and how. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, leave your people and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. And there I will make you into a great nation. Abraham, father of many nations. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So here's the question. What is it that Abraham had done so that God made this promise to him in Genesis 12, 1 through 3? What what moral righteous behaviors had Abraham demonstrated that God said, this is the guy This is the guy whose name I will be known by for generations. This is the guy that four billion people will claim as their spiritual ancestor. What had Abraham done? And the answer is nothing. He hadn't earned it in any way. He wasn't a more righteous or holy person than the people around him. In fact, he grew up as a polytheist. He and his family worshiped idols most of their life. It wasn't because his marriage was any better than anyone's around him. As we've seen, it wasn't. It had its own problems. The only thing that made Abraham different was that God chose him. It was that God just put his mark on him and said, you're the one. I pick you. And then here's the beautiful part. You ready for this? And through Abraham, God picked you. And he picked me. That you and I are included in Genesis chapter 12. This isn't just a verse about Abraham. He's saying all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, which means that God had you and me in mind right here and now 4,000 years ago. That before we were born, before you had taken your first step, or before you told your first lie, God knew you and he loved you and he had prepared a way to bring you blessing, hope, and a purpose. He did it through Abraham. 
And because it wasn't based on anything Abraham did, because it was just on God's choice alone, then we can share in that hope. I want to go back to Romans 4 and see how Paul finishes out that letter that we started with. See, Paul says, this is why it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. See, the words it was credited to him, they were not written for Abraham alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. The other word for this is for our righteousness. You see, Abraham himself was declared righteous not because he was any better than anyone around him. He wasn't. He was declared righteous because he believed the promise God had made to him. And now you and I, we get declared righteous the same way. If we believe that this God who has proven how trustworthy he is throughout the life story of Abraham and Sarah, he's proven that in spite of our terrible choices, in spite of our mistakes and worst sins, God shows up and God gives us a new name and a new legacy then he can do that for you and me too. And if Abraham's legacy is not one of adultery and prostitution, but if his legacy is that he is a father of faith, then you and I, whatever we have in our past, whatever mistakes we've made, whatever things we're ashamed are part of our life story, they don't have to be part of our legacy either. That we ourselves, just like Abraham, can leave behind a legacy of faith for those around us and those who come after us. Not because of any special works that we do, but just because of that one work of love that Jesus Christ did on the cross and the new name that he gives you and me. That we ourselves are children of God. We are descendants of Abraham. You and I are blessed and righteous because God loves us that much and we can trust in him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I give you thanks that you don't turn your gaze away from us, that you know more deeply than we do how much we struggle, how hard it is for us to truly rely on you, to trust that you will come through in all circumstances. And so Lord, I pray that you will help us look on this biblical story with understanding and with compassion that we won't judge Abraham and Sarah harshly, and that in the same way, we won't judge ourselves harshly either, that we will give ourselves the same compassion that you gave them, that we can forgive ourselves for our missteps, that we can learn from your historical record and more and more daily learn to trust and rely on you. And Lord, we ask you in your power and in your mercy to change our own legacy, to work for our good, to bring blessings into our life beyond any striving that we might do for ourselves, but just simply by our trusting in you and you showing up in the hardest and most uncertain circumstances. We pray this all trusting in your name, our holy Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages like this, hit the subscribe button. You can also find more resources at our website, pathfinderstl.org.